So, today is our wrap-up. And you say, why are you wrapping up today? Because it's not the last Sunday. Well, because next Sunday is the fifth Sunday. So, next Sunday morning, Everton will be preaching, and in the evening, Yukon will be preaching. So, uh, that will be uh, this week. So, this is Michael and I's final Sunday of the year. And so we're doing our normal wrap-up of what we've been talking about this particular quarter. And we got visitors in the audience. We really appreciate you being here. Some of you have come from a long way in this country. Some of you come from a long way in other countries. Some of you may be right here around. Uh, we're glad for you to be here wherever you may be coming from. If you have any questions about what we're doing today, uh, feel free to ask. Uh, we'd love to talk with you about that. We're in this morning by putting up two pictures. Got these guys in these real nice skinny suits and skinny ties and their nice little leather briefcases. And you got these other guys, they're in standing out like a sore, sore thumb with the blind you orange reflectors and hard hats and lunch pails. That depicts two main types of jobs in the world. That describes your white collar job. Where you're sitting in the office, you're telling people what to do, you're coming up with ideas. Or that describes your blue-collar job, where you're working day in, day out, you're eating on the job. It is a dangerous job, it is a difficult job. When you think about what we've been talking about this quarter, in terms of edification, and where edification means to build and to build up, Do you think that Christianity and edification is a white-collar job or a blue-collar job? It is very much a blue-collar job. That's all I want to end this year, is by making sure that we understand what we have entered into is not some cushy office job. It is very much a get-in-there-do-the-work type of job. And so we'll talk about some things this morning. i got three points, and then we're going to turn the page to 18 real quick. i got three points this morning that I think we'll talk about and make sure that we go back and we hit off the front. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 7 to begin with. Jesus gives his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We have that recorded for us. And it concludes by him saying how important his words are. About people that listen to his words and do his words. And how people that listen to his words and don't do his words. They're both doing one thing. They're both building a house. Right? And we've seen that over and over that they're building a house. Now, those of you that have ever done the manual labor of building a house. Easy or hard? It's hard. We can put it, we can have an architect design, design it all day long, put it on a nice sheet of paper, but when you get there, that piece of wood may not be exactly the same. Somebody may not know what they're doing. On paper, it looks great. And it sure looked perfect when I printed it right out of my computer or I sent you the PDF uh, on the email. But i got to put that into place. And a lot of times it's heavy work, right? You think about what he talks about here is that when it comes to edifying and building one another up, it's really hard work. It's difficult because as Jesus would say here in Matthew chapter 7, I have to put God first 
in my life. Notice this in Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on a rock and the floods uh, and they built on the, built his house on the sand, excuse me. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. See, what's where in the world are you getting God's got to come first out of that? It's because you don't get to build the house the way you want to build the house. You build the house on Jesus and through what Jesus says in his words. And oftentimes our human nature and our human instinct is not to actually do it the way Jesus says. How many of us like it when our boss at work tells us we have to do something a certain way? And I believe that the best way is another way. We all just jump right in that, like, sure thing, boss, got it. No. We wonder why you got to do it that way. And sometimes we go ahead and do it our own way. But what Jesus is saying, if you're going to build a my house that will stand, and you're going to build something that will last, you have to do it my way, not your way. God comes first. Secondly, it's hard, because not only does God come first, other people come second. Their needs come before my own. Notice how we talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to flip there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's in the middle of a section of 8, 9, and 10 where Paul is talking about, hey, your purpose is to build one another up. It is to edify. It is not to show how much knowledge you have. It is not to understand that, oh, there's only one God and there aren't idols and you can eat any meat that you want. It's, It's not about that. The kingdom is not about eating and drinking. It is about love and edifying and building up. So he uses himself as an example very much. And I want you to notice him as he concludes here in 1 Corinthians 10, as he brings it home and what he says he requires of these brethren, verse 23. He says all things are lawful. And that's probably them saying, hey, everything is good, everything is lawful. But he says, but not all things are helpful. But they say, but all things are lawful. But he would say, not all things build up. Not all things edify. There's our word. So here he says, verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You see, that's really hard to do. Because again, I like it my way. And I like to think about myself. And I don't. I care about you, but I don't really care about you. Right? Jesus says, no, no, no. Through the Apostle Paul, you have to care about that brother or that sister more than you do about yourself. You seek their good. You seek to build them up. Because guess what? That's what Jesus did. Notice this down in verse 31. So whatever you do, all these things that you say are lawful, whatever you do, whatever you eat, or drink, or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Again, goes back to that very top priority. You do it to God's glory. But give no offense, no reason for the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God to stumble. Like, don't put anything in a brother or a sister's way or someone who is not a Christian's way 
so that they would stumble. Whatever it is you do, you do it so that they won't stumble. So verse 33. Because just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because that's what Jesus did. That's the way Christ was. He wasn't thinking about himself. He came putting us ahead of himself so that we might be saved. And what we have to do when we are trying to build other people up is make sure that they come first and that God comes first so that many might be saved. That's it. That's hard to do. And finally, sometimes it feels like a difficult job. It feels like a timeless and thankless job. Let's go to Luke chapter 17. Because the truth is, when you do what you're supposed to do, and you're building other people up, do you feel good about that? What about if you keep having to build the same person up over and over and over again? Do you feel so good about that? Take, for instance, let's say you're, a, a, you're on a construction site. And your job is very simply, someone has gone through, they have put the chalk line out, and they have popped the chalk line, and here's a line. And your job all day long is to put nails with the nail gun on the different chalk lines every eight inches. Real boring, right? And guess what you get to do? You go home, and guess what you get to do tomorrow? It's going to get old real fast, right? Okay? Let's say you got a different job. That's not a lot of weight going on. Let's say you're the one that all you're doing all day long is you're a mason. And you are carrying the bricks so that the mason himself can lay them. You're the one hauling it in the wheelbarrow across the, the little two-by-fours little two by fours that they throw out there and they make a little ramp. Then you got to get it up to the top, and you got to wheel the mortar around. How do you feel at the end of the day? You're dead tired. And you expect when you get home that your wife or your kids, they're going to understand that you've been working hard all day long to support them and they're going to appreciate you when you get home. Honey, I really appreciate that you really broke your back today at work. But no, it's usually, honey, can you go do this for me? When are you going to turn the bushes? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? I don't know if that's the actual way it is. But I think spiritually speaking, we feel that way. Because as soon as we start doing things and we get tired, right? Remember how we taught that lesson on fatigue? We expect that there's going to be a little respite. We expect there's going to be a break. And the truth is, Christianity requires us to continue to work even when we're exhausted. Even when we're tired. Here's Luke 17. Jesus tells this parable to his disciples. He says, verse 7, Will any one of you who has a servant, and that word is a slave, any of you who has a slave, a bondservant, plowing or keeping sheep, Say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at a table. So you paid a guy to do a job, 
He does the job. He comes inside. He's still your servant. And now do you say to him, hey, it's time to eat. It's time to relax. He says, that's what you do, right? He says, no. Verse 8. Will you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me. Dress properly. Serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward you will eat and drink. Well, that doesn't seem fair, does it? The guy's tired. But guess what? That's his job. His job is to serve the master. And it's going to have different jobs throughout the day. It's not just to plow. It's to do all the different things. So, guess what? I might have needed to help the poor that day. I might need to build up somebody when I get home from work. Guess what i got to do? Build them right on up. Then you relax. When it's all said and done and it's hard, so Jesus says in verse 9, does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? Congratulations. You did what you were supposed to do, what you were paid to do. Should you get thanked for that? Let me ask the question another way. Do you require someone to thank you for doing your job? Isn't the thank you the pay at the end? Do we appreciate it when someone says thank you for doing your job? What if your boss never tells you thank you? You still do your job. Even if nobody, your brother, when you build them up, doesn't thank you, guess what we still do? Do our job. And so, verse 10, so you also. When you've done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. The truth is, we don't deserve thanks from God. The truth is, we deserve to thank God for giving us a chance to serve Him. To eat at His table when our work is done. Because frankly... We're not qualified for the job. He had to say, okay, in Jesus, you can serve me. Nothing of our own. There will be thanks, right? Another parable. Enter in, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. But that's after you fed the hungry. You clothed the naked. You visited the poor. You visited those in prison. After you've done all of the things that are going to wear you out after working all day long. He says, now you can rest. It is a hard job that we have signed up for. And guess what? We signed a contract that I will work for you until I die. The day we were baptized into those waters, into Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins. We didn't sign up to push paper and to count paper clips and to tell other people what to do. We signed up so we could use our hands. Because edification and Christianity, they're going similar, they're going hand in hand today. Is that man, it's on me to do the work. It's on me to build others. I want you to notice, remember that passage in Hebrews chapter 10? Let us consider one another to stir up to love and good works. 
I want you to notice, not every translation says it this way, but some translations do. And I want to read it from, from mine because it says it this way, and I think you'll understand the point. I'm going to emphasize two words as we read this passage. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The emphasis that I made was on how to. When you watch a how to video, why do you watch a how to video? So you know how to do it. Because you're expecting to do it. Now granted, in the, in the language, the word how to is not the only way that can be done. But the idea is that you do this. You find a way to make people be stirred up to love and good works. So how often are we watching videos, so to speak, on how to get one another built up and fired up and all these things in the Lord? Because that's what he's saying you do. It's our job to consider. It's our job to think about how to go about doing that. And we just kind of let other people do that. We come up with the idea and say, you know, it would be a great idea if we built up brother so-and-so by this. Now, y'all go do that. Wouldn't that be great if that's what Michael did or I did or one of your Bible class teachers did, right? Here's a great idea. Now, y'all go do that. No. It's, here's a great idea. Let's go do this. Or it's you saying, hey, here's a great idea. Here's somebody who's sick and the congregation needs our help. Let's go do this. That's what we signed up for. We got our hands on it just like those construction workers do day in and day out. And so we do this from time to time. I want you to notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In a passage that is talking about people needing to be encouraged continually that, hey, when you die in the Lord, everything is okay. Hey, you haven't missed the Lord coming back. He's still coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to take his own with him. But he says in verse 9, I want to pick up in verse 9. God is not destined to us to wrath, and that is Christians to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now here's the phrase, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, and here's the phrase, just as you are doing. You see, you do it day in, day out, over and over and over again. Just because I built you up today doesn't mean I don't build you up tomorrow. And just because I built you up last year doesn't mean I don't do it this year. It is an ongoing thing. It is continual. We don't graduate to the desk job. We are always working with our hands doing these things. But it's not always about hands-on building other people up. That is very important, right? We saw that it comes, that we must do that. That they have to come before ourselves. But guess what? We have to keep building ourselves up as individuals. Consider in Acts chapter 20, who is told to continue to build themselves up. In Acts chapter 20, Paul meets with the Ephesian elders. So, 
Christians that have only been Christians for a very short time, right? No, just the opposite of that. They are advanced. They are elderly. They are not novices according to the qualifications. They know how to teach. And they are able to convict people that contradict the gospel. We're not talking about people who don't know much. We're talking about people that have been entrusted with the souls of God's flock. The sheep of God's flock. Isn't that a... That's a very important role, right? He's not just giving that to anyone. But notice what Paul still says to these elderly, these wise, these people who have been on the job a long time. Notice what he says to them now in verse 31. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And I think that would include them. Verse 32, and now I commend you, or you all, to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He doesn't say, hey guys, you've done it. He says, guys, you've got to still stick with God and His word. And that will build you up. So if we get older, and we get more wise, and we get all those things, and we're no longer being as hands-on as we once were, it's not going to take long before we start slipping. We start sliding, and we're what? Because we aren't hands-on building ourselves up in the Word of God. And that gets us to point number three from this very same verse in verse 32. Is that, yeah, it is hard work and it is exhausting and oftentimes it is thankless. And yeah, and it requires me, I don't get to retire. I've got to work the whole time. But man, is it rewarding. Understand what he said right there? He said, you get an inheritance. You get to be part of God's family so that when... You die, or when he dies, however you want to look at that, you get to be a part of that family. You get to partake of all those riches that are in Christ Jesus. All of those things that have been lavished upon us, Ephesians 1 would say. The things that make us speak or give us joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Like you work really hard. And isn't that why people, these do blue-collar jobs, they work really hard? Aren't they trying to store something up for their family? And oftentimes they say, man, I want you to have a better life than what I have, because they understand it's really difficult. But yet when they see their, their child be able to go to college and to get that piece of paper that is going to help them maybe work a desk job, you know how they feel about that? Man, I'm exhausted, but that was worth all of my effort and all of my time. Because I was working for something. And what God tells us over and over is that our hope in Him does not disappoint us. It does not put us to shame, Romans 5 would say. In fact, it builds character in us. Because we keep doing the same things over and over and over again. When temptation comes, we smack it down. 
say, no, I'm not giving into that one. And we start to feel good. Because that thing that used to bother me, that was hard for me to overcome or was hard for me to do, it's no longer as hard anymore. Because I've done it over and over and over again. There's a reward. But you know what? There's more to it than just that. You also have what happens when we build one another up. I want you to go to Acts chapter 9. You see, when the church as a whole is building itself up, we saw, as, as Anietti read in Ephesians chapter 4, that apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, shepherds, right? They were all given so that the body could be built up. So that members would no longer be children tossed to and fro. They're not little rag dolls getting tossed about by every little thing that comes around. So every little teaching that comes around, we're not just following that, we're not going all over the place. That's what they're there for, is to build us up, to give us strength, to make it a strong place. You see, when we're being built up in Christ, and we're building one another up, I want you to notice what happens when churches do that. Notice verse 31. So the church... All throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria. I want you to notice how he says that. And the church. Not and the churches. You see, it's all about being a part of the one body of Christ. See, that's what Ephesians 4 was talking about. He was talking about the one body. Now, in individual congregations, you may have an evangelist or shepherds or those types of things. But they were all given so that the one body of Christ could grow up into that full maturity. And when we do that, in a church that belongs to Christ, in the church, whether it's in Judea, so imagine whether it's in the Northeast, or it is in Samaria, we'll say the Midwest or the Mid-Atlantic region if we're going to stay here on the East Coast, and Samaria in that Mid-Atlantic region, and Galilee, sorry, that's in the North, Judea's in the South. I'll get my map straight in a second, Never mind, let's go with this. North, middle, and the south. When they're being built up, notice what happens here. They had peace and were being built up. There's our word edifying. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort or the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You see... People are willing to join the body of Christ when we're at peace with one another. But when we're fighting with one another, guess what? Why am I going to go get in a fight? i got enough fighting at home. i got enough fighting at work. Why in the world am I going to come and be a part of this? And see what happens when we put God and we put others first? It affects the world around us so that they will come and multiply. That is more than just added to. That is multiplied. But I'll tell you when it's really rewarding. It's really rewarding when you go above and beyond what is actually required. You see, we have jobs, and we have to do that. So if my job is to put the nails in, it pays the bills. But what if someone asks me or someone needs me to do something else? What am I going to do? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it's in that same discussion that we brought up to begin with, that not all things are lawful, not all things build up. But here's the deal. In chapter 9, 
Paul uses himself to talk about he didn't exercise every right that he had. He had a right as a preacher of the gospel to be supported, to be paid to preach. Michael is paid to preach. I am paid to preach. We have that right according to the scripture. We don't have to exercise that right. Paul did not exercise that right. He did not do that. Why? Pick up with me verse 15. For I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provisions. I'm not writing this so that you will pay me. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this on my own will, I have a reward. But if I do it not of my own will, I am simply trusted with a stewardship. I want to try to explain that very simply. If I do it because I want to do it, I feel very satisfied and feel very rewarded for that. But if I do it only for the money, he says, it's not going to do it. And so what did he do? He goes throughout all this way. What is my reward? Verse 18. That in my preaching I present the gospel free of charge. I don't bring it on you, so I don't use this. And he goes on to say he did all these things. The Jew became a Jew. The Gentile became a Gentile. He became all of these things. Verse 22. Close out. I became all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. You see, I would rather give up something now, and have to work a little harder now, and still get the same reward, so that others would get it. That feels good. Because you see your efforts paid off because other people are saved because I made a sacrifice for them. That's edification. That is building somebody up in Christ Jesus. We signed up for a really difficult task. But man, is it worth all of the effort when it's all said and done. So 2018. If you're here on Wednesday night, you know we've been studying Daniel. And I made this to the Wednesday night class, and I'll say it again today. After January, I am going to do my best to pray three times a day, like Daniel did. And that does not include at the dinner table, the breakfast table, or anything that happens in here. That's me, between God, whether it's walking to the train, sitting on the train, riding in the car, Alone in my closet, wherever it is, that's me and God's time. I'm going to try to do that 90 times in January, three times a day. And then Hannah has come up with something they've used somewhere else. And not on the, the back table out there, and we'll have this on the website as well. Scripture writing, where there will be about, I think the most is like five verses a day. Where you transcribe with your hand, or you can print it, or you can type it. Small little verse. 
And so for the month of January, we're going to be transcribing the book of Ephesians to kind of go along with our theme for next year. Where we're thinking about this all this different thing. And it's a little different than your Bible reading, right? Remember I put the Bible reading schedule out a billion times. And that's usually at least three to four chapters a day. Well, this, four or five verses, but you're more immersed in those four or five verses. You've got all your senses involved. You've got to make sure you get every word down. And it's something more that you can really, using Michael's terms that Michael talks about all the time, meditate upon. You can really think about what you wrote that day and what you were thinking about. It's a great way to do it this year. And so if you use this little hashtag that is on that top of the screen up there, January Scripture Writing, on your social media accounts, whatever they may be, those of you that have them, maybe you can find up with somebody in here that is doing it and you can build each other up. And who knows, your friends might want to do it too. It's just different ways to try to build one another up and build ourselves up in the Lord. So again, that's out on the on the table out there, and if you run out, I'll be happy to do that. I think it's been a pretty good year. There have been some ups, there have been some downs, but isn't that life? But I tell you, it's up to us what we do with the rest of it. It's up to us what we are going to do, whether or not we're going to put in the work, or we're just going to come sit on a pew and enjoy a nice little office job, because that's not what we signed up for. Are we going to get to the work, or are we going to sit back and let everybody else work? 2018, let's get to work. This morning, maybe you're ready to sign up. Maybe you're ready to get to partake in that inheritance and the blessing that is in Christ. You're ready to submit your life. You're ready to sign on the dotted line and say, I will work for you till you come. There's no better time to do that. Or maybe you need to get back on the job. You've been slouching, you've been lazy, and you're only doing it when somebody's watching. Time to not be men pleasers anymore, but servants of the Lord. Why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing?